This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Buffalo Bandits did everybody a favor by knocking off the rush in overtime. Paul Day announced as the head coach and GM in Philadelphia. Team USA has a scrimmage in front of a packed house at LaxCon and a massive doubleheader for the Vancouver Stealth. All that and more coming up on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It was a light week last week, just two games. We'll dissect both of them. Uh, we missed two weeks ago. Uh, There's some thoughts that I didn't get to talk about last week, so I'll get those off my chest this week. Plus, my good friend Paul Day will stop by. Uh, He was named the new head coach and general manager of the Philadelphia Wings. It has been a story that has been waiting to break. Uh, Paul has known for quite some time. Others, like myself, have known for almost as long. And finally, we can talk about it. And I couldn't be happier for Paul Day, one of the great guys in lacrosse, gave me my first chance in Rochester. Uh, He ended up bringing me to Edmonton. And I have all the time in the world for Mr. Day, and he will join us a little bit later on in the show. Uh, I got to give some love to Nick Rose in a little bit because I've been kind of ragging on him, uh, and he proved me wrong two weekends ago. And I also have an issue with some fans in this league and just in sports general. little panic button being hit in some cities. And finally, a lesson to be learned in proper pronunciation of names. We'll get to as much of that as we can and more as the show goes on. So let's focus on this past weekend that just happened. We'll skip to Sunday's game because we have a lot to talk about of the Friday game. The Sunday game, New England in Rochester, was a streaky game, one that went back and forth, and you never really knew who was going to come out on top in that contest, which made it exciting which made it a game you wanted to watch because those are the games that keep you on the edge of your seat, much like the game in Saskatchewan two nights before. But Sean Evans opened up the scoring 21 seconds in. Joey reza Terrett scored 39 seconds later, and we were tied 1-1. New England would go on a run. Rochester clawed back. New England would score a couple. First quarter and 6-4. First half, sorry, first half and 6-6. There were six penalties called in the first half. A slashing major to Billy D. Smith was the biggest one. I actually thought the roughing major on Matt Vince a minute and a half earlier was a more violent play than the Billy D. slash. And yet Vino only got a two-minute roughing call. 
the relationship that Matt Vince has with Sean Evans is awesome because they have played together for many of a year uh, in Rochester, in Peterborough. They know each other in and out. And Evie knows that to get to Vino, you have to get in his grill, crash his, crash his cage, run through his crease, ring a couple off the helmet, say a few words to him, and Evie does that better than most. And every time Evie scores a goal, he always lets Vino hear it. And that roughing call in the first quarter, Vino had had enough of Evan's antics, gave him a bit of a cross-check near the head, which is why I think it probably deserved more than a two-minute, because there was intent there. Not intent to hurt, but intent to go for his head. Nonetheless, when a player has a goaltender's number like Evans does, it can shift the tide in a game. And when Evie scored that goal in the fourth quarter, it would end up being the ninth goal that they scored. No, sorry, the tenth goal they scored. It ended up being the game winner. Uh, he crashed the crease, and Vino instantly looks at the ref, throws up his hands, and is screaming for a crease call. Looks to the bench, puts his hands up, tells him to throw the flag. And more often than not, Vino tends to do that. And I I don't want to say most goaltenders do that. Because most goaltenders are pretty aware of where shooters are. Now, it's tough to always be accurate as a goaltender because you have to watch the guy's stick and not his feet. But... As a player is coming crashing towards your net, you're always kind of being aware of where his body position is. But some parts of me thinks Matt Vince needs to worry less about crease calls and guys crashing into his net and more on making saves because he's not doing his team any favors when he gets out of his comfort zone. Now, he still is third in the league in goals against Um, he's one of the top goaltenders in save percentage, so we can't knock him too much because the guy is still one of the best in the world. But he can get taken off his game easily by players, and when that happens, Rochester can find themselves on the losing end of a scoreboard more often than not. And they've lost their last three contests and find themselves at the bottom of the East Division. Good thing is, the East is extremely tight. One and a half games separates first through fifth, and anything can change, actually everything can change, with one win in that division. So while Rochester is on a bit of a downward spiral after starting the season out 2-0, I think they can still turn this thing around. They just need to stay composed. Whereas New England is on a bit of a winning streak of themselves. They've won two straight. Sitting up atop the East Division, a half a game ahead of Toronto, and have really started to find themselves into a groove. Before the season started, um, I said that Aaron Bold would get back to his old ways of playing championship-caliber goaltending, and he's getting there. 
I would like to see his goals against number obviously drop to sub-11, even low 10s, and I think with the defense in front of them, they can do that. Now they're getting used to his style of play. Um, obviously, he knows he'd love to see his save percentage numbers go up, uh, and that will come. But this is a team that is starting to look quite scared. And they're in Toronto this week for a massive game, a first-place battle with The Rock this weekend. And we're going to get to see Rose and Bold go toe-to-toe. And it's going to be a great game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be fast-paced. And I think we're going to see two goaltenders put on quite a show. Now, I will go right ahead and give my apologies to Nick Rose right now. I have been very critical of Rosie at times just because of the style that he plays. More so because while he may not look athletic, and sometimes I think he looks like man-at-arms from... He-Man, just the way he's built. And he is often susceptible to backside looks and the reverse dunk. Most goaltenders, that's a susceptible position for them, especially when shooters are shooting from the outside. And three weeks ago, because we were off last week, I was critical of Rosie saying that I didn't think he could make the big saves to help his team when needed. I didn't think he could go post to post when needed. And that week, he proved me wrong. Like Aaron Bold, I'm sure Rosie would like to see his goals against go down, his shooting percentage or save percentage go up, and that will come with time. But I will lay off the heat of Nick Rose a little bit because he continues to be the backbone of of that rock club. Without Nick Rose, I'm not sure where this group is. Obviously, Brandon Miller being in and out of the lineup uh, doesn't help. But when Rosie's playing as well as he is, they've won three straight. He is playing confident. And when goaltenders play with confidence, it allows their defenses to play with confidence. It allows their defense to be a little more mobile, a little more pressure-focused, and able to take a few more risks because they have faith and Rosie behind them. So Rose versus Bold this weekend is going to be a very juicy matchup. I'm interested to see how this New England defense plays against the high-scoring Toronto offense because that is a team that loves to put up goals. They put up, what, 60 or so in their last three games. So... It's going to be a slobber knocker of Jim Ross proportions. And that game goes on Saturday from the ACC. It's actually your Twitter game of the week. Andy McNamara, Brian Shanahan will have the call on Twitter.com as well as NLL TV. The other game that was this past weekend was Buffalo and Saskatchewan. And... There aren't too many people outside of Buffalo that gave the Bandits any chance at winning that lacrosse game. And it's in those types of situations where a team can rise above and put all the doubters in the corner for five minutes, 
so that they can feel shame. Mind you, when it was 6 nothing, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like, okay, this is kind of what we expect was going to happen. But it didn't. Because it got to 6 nothing, And Alex Bouquet gave up four on six shots and got a quick yank from Troy Cordingly. And unfortunately for Buda, he hasn't had the greatest start to his tenure in Buffalo. I spoke about this game with the crew from Lack Sportsnet uh, on Saturday and mentioned that, you know, Bouquet is still relatively young when it comes to goaltenders. In, in reality, he's been in the league less than his backup Zach Higgins has been. And Higgy is the third string goalie that was signed when David DeRuscio got hurt. So to see Bouquet struggling isn't as much of a surprise. I actually thought he would do quite well, but teams are, are finding ways to pick him apart. And it could be the defense in front of him that he's having troubles with. He's seeing shots from different angles, um, and guys aren't playing the way he's used to seeing a defense play in Colorado. He'll come around. And for Buffalo, it's a good thing that they have um, a bye week. They might even have two bye weeks until they play their next game. And it will allow them either to get DeRuscio healthy. I'm not sure his timeline. Or it'll allow Zach Higgins to settle in and maybe earn that number one spot. Bandits were supposed to have practice tonight. It's been canceled due to an ice storm. So... They'll take some time, might even get together this weekend if they can find some floor time. But Zach Higgins comes into that game, makes 34 saves, gives up 11, but the biggest thing that he did was he held the fort. Sure, he gave up two goals when he came in. That's okay. He held the fort for five minutes before he gave up that first goal. It was a power play goal from Benny Mack. And then Corbeil scored on the power play with two seconds left in the quarter. Those are the only two goals he gave up in that quarter. And he allowed Buffalo to settle down, catch their breath, realize that there was still 45 minutes of lacrosse to be played. I said it on Twitter. I say it so many times when a situation like this happens. Just because a team jumps out to a big league does not mean the game is over. This is lacrosse. And if we've learned anything from this season already, no lead is safe. And if we learned anything from sports in the past few months, no lead is safe. So when everyone was like, oh, 6 nothing, this game is over, it's going to be a blowout, I was a part of that too. I was thinking, uh-oh, this could be a 30-goal game for Saskatchewan. Kudos to Zach Higgins. Kudos to Troy Cordingly and his coaching staff for giving his, his team the confidence that they could come back, allowing them to stay composed and make in-game adjustments was incredible. Dane Smith and Mitch Jones scored two goals in the first four and a half minutes to get the Bandits on the board. And 
They tie that quarter 3-3, go into the half, down 6-9-3. Well, they would outscore the rush 12-6 over the next 30 minutes to force overtime as Josh Burns scored with 19 seconds left. But it just goes to show you how scary Buffalo can be. They're sitting third in the NLL East at 3-3. They played the most games out of anybody. And they are still very hit and miss. Like I said, Alex Bouquet hasn't played his best lacrosse, but he's found a way to win him a couple games. Zach Higgins found him a way to win this game. And when Pat Saunders put that goal in a buck 46 into overtime, it was a massive, massive victory for the Buffalo Bandits. Again, Zach Higgins, I think, made two huge saves in overtime. Keep that game alive. And they never really felt defeated throughout the whole process. Maybe in that, you know, six-goal run to start the quarter, they might have had their heads down. But you know Troy Cordingly is going to fire his troops up. Don't know what was said at halftime. We'll keep that in between those doors. But obviously, there were some key adjustments to limit the amount of quality looks from the rush offense and second opportunities. That was a huge part of that game was second chance opportunities, especially in that second half. And when you can control loose balls, they lost the loose ball battle by seven. But in defensive territory, if you can pick up every loose ball after a shot and go down and get your offense out there, and when your offense is out there, get second and third opportunities, then you'll start to feel some chemistry and feel some flow. Because they didn't have that in the first quarter. In the first quarter, everything Saskatchewan was putting on net was going in in that first almost four minutes. But they were also getting loose balls, causing turnovers, second chance shots, and three power plays in a row that allowed them to jump out to a lead. So, when a game is out of hand early. Don't leave the arena. Don't change the channel. Sit back and enjoy. Because there was some beauty in that game on Saturday night. Sorry, on Friday night. The great thing about NLL TV is that you can go back and watch these games. So while we're building up to Friday night's game in Colorado, go back and watch... Just the difference the way Buffalo played in the final three quarters, even the second half compared to the first half. There's just a different swagger about them. And it was great to see. That was a massive win. It got them to 500. It gave the Rush their first loss. And it brought everybody kind of back to earth in the National Crossing. We can stop talking about 18-0. And we can focus on the best of the best, and the guys doing what they do best. Sure, Saskatchewan may still be the top team in the league. Their offense still blows me away of how selfishly, sorry, unselfishly, 
and quickly they move the ball. But they can be beat. Buffalo showed it. Colorado didn't have the greatest game against them, but with some adjustments, they will be able to hang with the rush. Everybody is going to go back and watch the second half of that game and learn from it. But in saying that, you can guarantee the rush are going to learn from it as well. And that loss doesn't sit well with that group. But maybe maybe it's a good thing. You get all that pressure of a quote-unquote perfect season off your shoulders early. I said that about Colorado two weeks ago. They can just, yeah, you know what? They were 3-0. Everyone saw, oh, maybe they can go undefeated. Well, get it out of the way. Getting a loss now is a better learning point than getting that first loss in week 16. So shout out to the Buffalo Bandits on a huge win. Big ups to Tendy Bear Zach Higgins, who picked up his first win in a couple of years, I think. Like I said, Zach Higgins has been in the National Lacrosse League longer than Alex Bouquet has. He's been in the league since 2013, well, 2014. Didn't play at all in 2013. But he spent three years in Minnesota, stayed with the team when they switched to Georgia, played one game for Calgary last year, and he's gotten into two games so far this year for the Bandits. It's his first win since 2016 when he was with Georgia. I will be very interested to see who Troy Cordingly starts in two weeks when the Bandits take the floor next. It's going to be a big, big question mark. Because I think Zach Higgins has earned that start. We'll see. One last thing about that game in particular. We all know that the commentator didn't have his best night. And unfortunately, it's been a bit of a theme since he has taken over. And yes, we would all love to see uh, our good friends, John Fraser and Casey Guerin back calling rush games. Unfortunately, due to... The sponsorship deal, the radio deal that the Rush have with the Sastel Media Group. It's not going to happen. And what I can say is this, and I've said it before. If you are a broadcaster, you're an aspiring broadcaster. You're somebody who wants to host a radio show or a podcast or do interviews All you have to do is ask questions. Whether it's before you actually do the interview, whether it's before the game, whatever it may be. Take the time. Look at the game sheet. If there's a name you don't know, go and ask. And if you do think you have all the names down pat, make sure they're correct. Because hearing Dunstan to Sanders for the game-winning goal, not only is it a disrespect to the players to get their name wrong, you can't exactly use that goal clip 
as highlights because it's wrong. It's a great goal. It's a fantastic winner by Patty Saunders. But calling them Dunstan and Sanders multiple times, there was even a Buffalo Stallions mention during the broadcast. And that just can't happen. Well, our good buddy Graham Perro at IL has his pronunciation guide over on his blog site. Uh, the National Lacrosse League sent out a league-wide version of the pronunciation guide to all announcers uh, today. So hopefully this doesn't happen again. Unfortunately, some people, it's, again, it's all in where you put your emphasis on your syllables because there are some names that are tricky and it all depends on on how you read it if you read it slowly if you read it quickly and i can understand slight mispronunciations but if you get a guy's name completely wrong there should be no excuse for that i remember one year before i was calling games i can't remember who was playing but I wanted to create a fine book for all announcers when they did something wrong. And then I thought, you idiot, you pronounce names wrong all the time. So I'm not saying I've never done it because I have. I have called Miles Lyles. I have called John Gregg. I've gotten things wrong. However, Completely getting players' names wrong, team names wrong, rules wrong. We have to be better. And so hopefully the National Lacrosse League is working on rectifying that and we can move along and have quality broadcasts. One more thing with the rush before I move on. And this one completely blows my mind. The rush are in Calgary to take on the Roughnecks uh, on Saturday, it is super. No, it is Star Wars night at the Saddledome, and of course, they're asking for fans to dress up in their favorite Star Wars characters: Han, Leia, Jar Jar, Luke, Snoke, whoever you want. It's always a great time. It's always a fun night, and I'm sure the Roughnecks will have some sort of Star Wars themed jersey, as they always do. However, it's been made known through uh, local presses that the guy who goes by quote-unquote Sask or Rush Hulk, Sask Hulk, Rush Hulk, Sask Rush Hulk, Hulk, the guy that dresses up the Hulk at the Rush games, he's not being allowed inside the saddle and dressed up as Rush Hulk because they're afraid that he might fall or hurt a fellow fan in attendance. Now, this isn't a directive from the Roughnecks. It's a directive from the Saddle Dome personnel. Now, for me, I don't think the Saddle Dome people would have even known about Rush Hulk unless someone from the Roughnecks said, we don't want him dressing up. He's allowed to go. He just can't dress up. 
And their reasoning saying, one of the reasons that they said was they don't allow mascots of an official or unofficial variety from visiting teams at the game. Which is another bit of a farce because I remember when the Rush were in Edmonton and we brought Freeze down and he performed at the games. I think they even brought both of their mascots down at one time when they were in Edmonton down to Calgary. So this is probably just some mind games and head games, but when you're going to have people dressing up with lightsabers or um, blaster rifles, shields, staffs, big mask, you're going to have Darth Vader there. Like, those guys are just as susceptible to falling down as... Rush Hulk would be. And it just seems like a very childish thing to do. It's mind games. It's Calgary not wanting to have a full effect of Rush Nation there. Well, they're bringing like three buses down. There are going to be a lot of Rush fans there. There were always a lot of Rush fans in Calgary when the Rush were there. And so to say a fan can't go because he's wearing a Hulk costume and you're worried about him hurting other fans or falling over or hurting himself is a bit ridiculous to me. Uh, I don't know the gentleman, but apparently he's a firefighter and does the firefighter challenges where he has to climb up the stairs in full gear. I'm sure he's okay with steps. So... Just little things like this are just ridiculous. To tell a fan that he can't come and support his team dressed up as a character that he is at the game. He's not a mascot or an unofficial mascot. He's just a dude that goes to the games dressed up. So, Saskatchewan, Calgary, Saturday night. It's going to be another great game. Uh, Two Western teams that always play very well against each other. Uh, Calgary looking to climb themselves out of a last-place tie in the West with Vancouver. The Rush trying to get back in the win column. You know both teams are going to get ready to play a fast-paced, intense game that's going to have a lot of fierceness to it. I'm sure the whole Hulk situation doesn't affect them at all. But when I have players texting me about how much of a joke it is, It's just a petty thing that we don't need. Like, the story got picked up by the National Post. That's how much of a story this has become. And for what? Because the guy wants to support his team? Completely makes no sense to me. None. But he's going to be there with all the other Rush Nation fans, and they're going to make it just as loud, if not louder, inside the Saddle Dome on Saturday night. The other games this weekend, uh, one game Friday, Vancouver at Colorado, uh, a rematch of the December 8th game that Colorado won 15-8 in Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver coming off a huge win in Buffalo two weeks ago, their first of the year where Joel McCready scored the game winner. And Colorado coming off their first loss of the season that same weekend to Saskatchewan. So both teams... Vancouver trying to keep some momentum. Colorado trying to get it back. 
I'll have that call with Jamie Shuchuk and John Gallant on NLL TV and live on Altitude Television in Denver. And then the other game, Georgia, is at Vancouver on Saturday. So the Stealth have to play Colorado Friday night and then fly back home most likely the next morning and take on Georgia, who will have already flown in the night before and be well-rested. And Vancouver will have another home date, look to get their first home win of the season. And who knows? Maybe they can put together a three-game winning streak. This is a very important weekend for the Vancouver Stealth. If they can beat Colorado, they can climb up the standings. If Calgary loses to Saskatchewan, that helps Vancouver. And if Vancouver can beat Georgia, that'll really help their position in the West standings. I have a feeling that Eric Penny will be in between the pipes Friday night in Colorado. We are still waiting to see about the appeals for Joel McCready and Andrew Suter. In my opinion, one of those players has to be suspended. Because if you go back to that Toronto game where this these suspensions stem from and the fights that McCready and Suter got in uh, right off of a face-off in the second quarter, I believe, you have to deem one of those fights as a secondary fight. And if you're involved in a secondary fight or the guy who instigated that secondary fight, I believe it's an automatic one-game suspension, which both those guys are appealing. So if you say, okay, we'll say that Andrew Suter's fight against Billy Hostrauser was the first fight, that means that the McCready fight is the secondary fight and that he should be given an automatic one game. You can appeal it, then you should lose the appeal. So I have a feeling that if the appeal gets done in time, which it should be, that one or both of those players will be out of Friday's game. I've been wrong before, and I'm sure Vancouver Stealth fans would like me to be wrong again. But I'll be very interesting to see what happens out of these appeals. And that could affect Vancouver's situation. I don't think losing Suter is, is as big of a deal as losing McCready because I think McCready is a huge part of their offense. But going into a divisional game, coming off your biggest win of the season, I think you need all hands on deck. And so for the Vancouver Stealth, that means having McCready and having Suter. And if you can get those guys into your roster and get those guys playing, then that's huge. Because Colorado has a tough time with Vancouver at home. They have a tough time with Reese Dutch at home. And if McCready's in that lineup creating space for Reese Dutch, that's an issue for Colorado. I know Pat Coyle and his group will have a defensive system set up to eliminate the opportunities of Shuss, Small, and Dutch, much like they did in that game to start the year. But for some reason, Reese Dutch just loves playing in Denver. I think it's because the fans really get on him. It used to be back in the day when Willie B was there, 
and they called him Reese Douche, and they would literally like chant his name, Douche, every time he touched the ball. Since Willie B has departed, the fans still do it. But every time I talk to Reese Dutch, whether it be before Colorado game or after Colorado game, he relishes games in Denver because the fans just get all over him. And sometimes that's not the best thing to do. So for all you Denver fans that are listening, you know when they announce the other team and all the fans, this is a great thing, by the way, if you've never seen it, it's the very mystery Alaska-ish. When they say, and now coming to the floor of the Vancouver Stealth, all the Denver fans turn their back. Well, maybe when Reese Dutch gets the ball, the whole place should just go quiet. Don't say anything. And maybe... That will allow the defense to shut Reese Dutch down for once because he always puts up at least six points on average when he plays in Denver. And they can't allow that to happen. They can't allow Shuss, Dutch, and Small to get going in that game Friday night. They did an excellent job in shutting them down at the beginning of the year. Uh, They had an incredible power play unit work or a short man, I guess, at the time, where they were leaving Evan Messenger wide open on the crease, not allowing Shuss, Dutch, or Small to shoot. Now, will they go back to that? Possibly. I'm sure Evan Messenger will love to have the opportunity to be one-on-one with Dylan Ward alone on the crease again. But for Colorado to be successful, Dylan Ward and that defense have to find a way to stop Reese Dutch. If you can stop Reese Dutch... You really quiet down that right side. And then you can just sort of focus on small and shuss. There'll be some great matchups in that game. One-on-one defender matchups. At the other end, uh, watching Matt Beers uh, go against the Vancouver, sorry, against the Colorado defense. I'm a huge Matt Beers fan. I've always been a Matt Beers fan. Uh, He plays an incredible, tenacious, aggressive, on-the-edge style of defense. Sometimes he's a little too aggressive for my liking, but for the majority of the time, I just appreciate the way he plays defense. And for Vancouver to be successful, they're going to have to find a way to not allow Colorado inside because that's when Colorado suffers. If Colorado can't get their offense inside and quality scoring lanes, then they struggle because while their shooters are very good from the outside, you're not going to win too many games when you're bombing away from the outside. We've seen that too often in the world of lacrosse. And whether it's Eric Penny, Ty Belanger, or Brody McDonald in net, Colorado has to get inside, get those guys moving, and put the old biscuit in the basket. I'm looking forward to Friday night's game. Uh, It's a 7.30 game, Denver time. Uh, I said Shuchuk, Gallant, and I will have the call. Look forward to it, and we'll look forward to chatting with everybody before, during, and after that contest. So those are your four games and a little recap of, of things that we've missed over the past few weeks. Now let's focus on what's going on right now. Paul Day, one of my favorite people in the world of lacrosse, was announced as the head coach and general manager of the Philadelphia Wings this week. Uh, as I mentioned earlier off the top, this has been something that has uh, that he's known for quite some time. 
and it's finally been announced, and he couldn't be happier. He was at LaxCon doing the rounds uh, in Baltimore where they made the official announcement. He has been welcomed with open arms, and I think he's going to do quite well. It's a bit of a different situation than when he was given the reins for the Edmonton Rush back in 2004-2005. Unfortunately, he lost both the coin toss for the entry draft and the expansion draft. Portland got first pick in both, and I think that really hurt the rush going forward. And he was in a bit of a tough spot in Edmonton. He had a ragtag bunch of guys. We went 1-15, and and we just really didn't have it. And he was really put behind the eight ball uh, in his first few years there. And I think he'll have a better shot in Philly. So I caught up with Mr. Day, PD, as he's known around the lacrosse world. And the first thing I asked him was, being a Rochester guy, like that's where he's been for most of his career. He's gone to Edmonton. He's gone to Orlando. But he's found himself back in Rochester where he started his coaching stints. Does it feel weird for him to be going to the arch rival in the evil empire of the Philadelphia Wings? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, I think one of the reasons I retired this summer was that I knew there would be an opportunity there. So pretty excited to get it going. And obviously, I mean, for everybody, it's great that they're, where the wings are coming back in the league, yeah. and we obviously we miss them. You played there before. You know how great it was a place just to to play in such a great city. And man, it's uh, to get the fans back would be spectacular. Yeah, what's the buzz? You were down at the last convention uh, this week where they announced you. What's the buzz around the town and, and the fans of the wings uh, about next year already? Yeah, already it's great. I mean, I think people are pretty pumped that they. You know, they stuck with the name. And then, uh, I mean, the game has grown so much and grown like crazy in the Philadelphia, the tri-state area. So I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more people exposed to it. There's so many kids playing now and not just playing field, but playing box, which uh, which is part of uh, the plan in Philadelphia. We've got the we've got the, uh, the arena already there, the turf down, and Alex Turner. And I yeah. all players leading the charge with box. 24-7, 365. So, I mean, I think it's, it's yeah, the buzz is, is real good with all the fans, but now we've got some new ones. Absolutely. You, you've kind of known about this uh, for a while now. It's obviously been hard to sit on this information, but what have you been doing since you've kind of known that this was going to be your role? I spent the fall really looking at, especially after the draft, looking at, you know, each team who we thought would be protected. Um, uh, changes weekly, I would say, because the guy's <laughs> playing well and not. But it's going to be a tough decision, which is great for us because yeah, there's so many good players that are playing. We've got 27 guys from this year's draft are are on roster or practice rosters, and I think 24 from last year. So some great young players that are, you know, you know, it's kind of like us in Rochester. We had I think eight guys that were up and down between practice and IR. Yeah, in the 2017 season. So I've been kind of looking at that, looking at the draft for next year. But really, right now, we're really focusing on uh, watching a lot of video and each week cutting up uh, 
probably six to eight guys from all the games and, you know, really going to watch them to see what their consistency is home on the road. Offensive guys, five on five goals or special teams goals. So, you know, just really kind of spend a lot of time analyzing uh, the young men that play in the NLL that need a little more exposure and hopefully we'll take that opportunity and really run with it in Philadelphia and, or San Diego, I guess. But uh, spent some time with uh, on the phone with the management with the Vegas Golden Knights, really kind of talking about what their plan was and just taking any information I can get to make sure uh, that we do a good job. I was going to ask you uh, if you were going to model your, your drafting and, and your building uh, much like Vegas did. Obviously, uh, your good buddy Gary Lawless is there, so you have a bit of an in. Um, which way do you want to go? Are you Because uh, you've been through this before. Um, you were a part of Edmonton when Portland and Edmonton came in. You lost the coin flip with Jammer, Derek Keenan, to, and he got first overall in the entry draft and the expansion draft. What's your model this year going to be? Are you going to be a draft pick guy, a free agent guy? What do you think you're going to be? Well, I think, you know, the draft's so important now. It's uh, this, you know, last the last two drafts have been real good. I think they get better every year. So yeah. we'll make sure that we've got some as many picks as we can have uh, moving forward here, uh, you know, in the next three to five years because there are some great young players coming out Um you know, the Zach Courier type players are in the U.S. plan and uh, the guys that are making impact right away. Um, and obviously, we're really spending a lot of time looking at who's going to be unrestricted next summer. Uh, it's a lot younger unrestricted free agency than it was. It used to be 34 years old. Now it's down to 30. So that really helps. But, um, you know, obviously, some of those guys can sign with their team in the meantime and also, you know, get franchised. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a bit of both. Both, but um, you know, we'd like to have a, a group of you know, ten to twelve guys next season that we can build and have their three to five years and have a real, um, you know, kind of guys in the market and a group that we can build around moving forward. Do they know how they're going to decide who's first? Is it going to be the old coin flip? Yeah, it'll be a coin flip, but uh, it'll be different than it was in the past. It'll be a coin flip. And you'll decide if you want the first pick in the expansion or the first pick in the uh, the entry draft, and then the other team will get the first pick, which is great. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've learned a lot too since you know 12 years ago or whatever it's been. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to be around some great people, and I think I've won about six or seven championships in different leagues with with some great people, and hopefully that helps uh, this time around. Building your own staff is always a challenge. Obviously, your fingers uh, are deep in a lacrosse world. Have you been reaching out to people already to to kind of round out your coaching staff and, and your management staff as you move along? No, I think next summer we'll wait till the summertime to to really you know firm up a coaching staff. There's going to be so many guys that will be available depending on their contract situation. But mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, you and me, we've been in this league and other leagues so long that I've, I've worked with or coached or played with someone from every uh, coaching staff and management staff in the NFL. So, um, you know, it really will depend on who's available. And uh, But obviously, there's also been some great guys that have retired the last three or four years that are yeah. coaching junior that we may drop them. But our focus right now is, uh, you know, really watching the players right now and the coaching will come in the summer. But uh, – you know, I'll reach out here now and start working with some 
some guys that I trust that aren't in the NL that can can help uh, to scout some games. What did you learn from your time with Edmonton when you went through this whole process of the expansion draft and entry draft and, and being a brand new team uh, in a market that, you know, it's lucky you've said this a few times, you know, you're lucky enough to be going to a market that's in Philadelphia that's had it before. And so that challenge isn't going to be as hard to say it was in Edmonton or maybe Steve's going to have down in San Diego. But what did you learn from those, those years, early years in Edmonton building a team? Yeah, I think even learned since then about uh, the league's much different than it used to be. Um, you know, a lot of times you would you would pick your players geographically. You know, okay, well let's mm-hmm. get some Alberta kids here, let's get some BC kids here. The league's got so competitive now. Um, and you know, I think I was on a radio show on the weekend. They were really talking about some guys that used to play for the Wings, um, but maybe have been out of the league for a couple years. That you know, I think Johnny had a real big. American emphasis mm-hmm. uh, in Philadelphia, and that was the question. And I'm like, well, you know, the Flyers, the Eagles, and the Phillies, and any other professional sports team doesn't pigeonhole themselves into a geographic area. So, I mean, we're going to make sure that we have the best players no matter where they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be a real focus. And that's something, you know, even in Rochester in, you know, the 90s and early 2000s, financially, you wanted to make sure, you know, you had to be really financially. Yeah, responsible, and uh, that means you'd maybe take a kid from NAS or a kid from RIT rather than a kid from the OLA. But I mean, that's that the league's changed so much that we're going to make sure we we choose the best players to make our franchise the best wherever they're from. July will be the uh, expansion draft date somewhere in there. We know it's going to be five, five, and one. Um, obviously, that's going to help teams. Uh, a lot more and, and allow them to find better players with less guys being protected. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure about the date 100%, so I'm, that'll be up to the NLL, but uh, right. um, it, you know, there is so many good kids that are available. Like, you know, there's 50-some kids from the last two drafts that are in the league. Yeah. And, I mean, I kind of, before the draft started, I did an analysis in the summer. I thought there'd be 20 guys from this year's draft on rosters. And I think when I checked a week or so ago, it was 20 on the roster and seven on practice rosters. So, right. You know, there's some great young talent and um, it's funny. The funny thing is the teams that are playing right now know that and those young guys, they'll be able to protect and, you know, guys that are making a little more money and, um, you know, they can have a couple young guys replace you know, that one player making a little more money and, you know, we may be able to, to grab the veteran leadership from some of the teams. That was one of the things the Golden Knights really talked about was the the uh, flurry and, um, you know, James Neal and Perron. Some of the, the guys they brought in have been so good for the culture in their room. And, right. you know, that's that's something that you, it's an unknown until the, the lists are put out. But that's obviously, you know, we want, Three to five veteran guys that can really are real good, going to be good in the room and really set the tone for their internal leadership. You stepped down from your uh, full-time gig working uh, in the police department. How has retired life been treating you lately? <laughs> well, <clears throat> take my little guy to hockey and uh, go to a lot of NFL games. It's pretty spectacular. Uh, yeah, it was a great career, but I mean, I'm lucky enough. My wife. Uh, She's got seven more years with the police, and 
It's great lacrosse. I mean, we are and you are. We're all lacrosse 24-7, but now yeah. to actually be able to focus on it in the daytime and not just at nighttime or past you, you fear I get up at 5 in the morning, cut video up before work, and then go to work. And then, mm-hmm. so it's great. It's great. I'm loving it and uh, getting to do lacrosse 24-7. And I'm sure someday when my little guy's older, all his generation, hopefully that'll be their jobs for yeah. 20 years, I hope. Uh, that, that is a great hope. Um, are you, Gary, uh, planned a reunion somewhere down the road already to watch some Bruce Springsteen maybe? That would be nice. I'm going to try and get to Vegas maybe to watch. I talked to him this morning actually, but uh, you know, they're first in the NHL right now, first overall yeah. after a win last night. So uh, when they get down there to, to Vegas to, uh, you know, to see them. But, I mean, he's heavily involved in watching yeah. the lacrosse too and, keeping up on lacrosse he knows exactly what's going on so he's been a real good support and uh we're gonna try and hook up our social media people with theirs i think they're the best i've ever seen and, yeah uh, they're doing a pretty good job so we'll have dana our social media girl get a little educated from them as well and we'll uh do whatever we can to be even close to nearly as good as the vegas Golden Knights yeah. on and off the floor oh my god well, who knows? Maybe when we speak, if we speak in a year's time, the, the Philadelphia Wings be atop of the National Lacrosse League. That would be a pretty good start for you guys. That would be really nice. I would like that. <laughs> Paul, it's always a pleasure. I'm so happy that uh, you've been given this opportunity. It's been in the works for a while, but uh, they couldn't have picked a better guy. So congratulations. Uh, enjoy the games uh, throughout the year, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Eddie. We'll see you on the road. There he is, Paul Day of the Philadelphia Wings. Never thought I would say that. I'm interested to see um, not only who he brings in for to fill out his coaching staff, but who he surrounds him with, just like I'm very interested to see what Steve Govett does down in San Diego. Who is Steve Govett going to name as his general manager? And who is that general manager and Steve Govett going to name as their head coach? That is going to be one of the most compelling stories to watch with these two franchises. Who they surround themselves with, who they bring in, what quality people do they bring in? Are they guys who have been in a position in the National Lacrosse League before? Are they going to bring in guys who have never had an opportunity before? Maybe take a flyer on somebody as a new GM or a new head coach. I'm very interested to see what happens with both of those clubs. Uh, The one big nugget uh, that came out of the announcement with Paul Day, and this was thanks to Mike Davies and the Peter Rowe Examiner, is we started to learn more about the expansion draft. Uh, There are rumbles that it's going to be held in July. Uh, We now know that teams will be able to protect 11 runners. We always kind of knew that, but we now know the breakdown. Five forwards, five D, one goaltender. 11 players. And you heard Paul talk about it. Back when he was with Edmonton, teams were able to protect like three-quarters of their roster. So there wasn't a lot to pick from. But now, teams are only going to be able to protect half of their roster, less than half their roster. If you count practice players and holdouts and all that stuff. And there is going to be a large player pool to draw from. Now, you can... Minus unrestricted free agents because they can go anywhere, so it's unlikely a team will draft them. They could. 
if maybe they put something, um, you know, a gentleman's handshake, say, I'm just going to throw a name out. We'll just use Reese Dutch. Hey, Dutchie, you're an unrestricted free agent. Um, we're going to draft you. Would you be willing to sign with us? So there could be some things like that uh, put in place, but we're going to have to wait and see. I love the fact that Paul is using his relationship with Gary Lawless, who's the lead reporter for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Those two go way back to primary school, to being altar boys together. Uh, They've been best friends since the word best friends was invented. And because of that relationship, Paul has been able to talk with George McPhee and everybody involved in the Las Vegas Golden Knights to see what they did during the expansion draft and the expansion period that made them so successful because they're the top team in the NHL, and that has never happened before. So it will be very interesting to see how both clubs develop their team through the draft, expansion, and entry through free agency um, and what guys they can bring out of the woodwork because... If we learned anything from the U.S. box scrimmage slash tryouts that were this past weekend, there's some talent out there that's not playing in the NLL. There's some talent out there that's retired from the NLL and may want another shot. Roy Colsey, who's like 90. I'm kidding. But he played. And maybe it was just so... His young kids could see him play in a U.S. jersey one more time, or maybe he actually is thinking about making a comeback. Anthony Kelly, another guy who's had a cup of coffee in the National Lacrosse League, would be an incredible asset for a team. A draw guy, he could play defense, and is a monster of a man. Kyle Hartzell. Bill O'Brien's on Buffalo's practice roster now, but there's another guy. Miles Jones was drafted by New England. There is talent out there. So there is going to be a lot of street free agents signed to these new clubs and brought in for camps to see what they can do. And with this American tryout slash scrimmage that was had at LaxCon, the Americans are starting to see what kind of talent they have. And... All reports from that scrimmage was that, A, there was a great crowd on hand. B, it was a very intense game, especially since it was on a bit of a smaller floor because it was on an indoor soccer floor. But there are some talented guys out there that want to play box, and that's the biggest thing. It's not just, you know what, we're going to put a field guy, let him play indoors, and just see what it can do so we can fill out our roster. If you go and watch highlights from that game, you will see incredible athleticism, size, speed, strength, finesse, all those things that you would expect to see from proven box players. But when you give these guys a chance and some instruction, some tutelage, let them watch some film, let them get comfortable in their surroundings, they will have success. Based on natural ability alone, 
Miles Jones should be in this league. There's just not enough room for him. And so when you add 48-ish spots next year, you're going to see a lot of those guys, Marcus Holman, Dylan Malloy, get roster spots. I'd love to see Kyle Hartzell back in the National Lacrosse League. He's living down in Dallas. It's got to be a fairly quick commute to Philly or somewhere. He was a stud when he played in the National Lacrosse League. He was an American guy that got it. Another guy that learned under the great Chris Hall. Now he's being taught by Reggie Thorpe, who's probably one of the best American defenders of all time. And a guy that needs to be in the Hall of Fame. So the takeaway from the American scrimmage at LaxCon is that Americans want to play box. They have the itch. They've caught the bug. They're seeing what their fellow countrymen are doing. And yes, it's not all going to be easy. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be growing pains. But it's going to happen. Now, I don't think there's going to be a, a mandate. You have to have two Americans on your team or whatever some people are suggesting. Guys need to earn their spot. And if they want it bad enough, they'll take the opportunities that are afforded to them, whether it's coming up and playing a summer, whether it's playing in the college box league, whether it's playing or just trying out for teams and sitting on the practice squad. There are guys out there that are going to earn spots and deserve spots. And we're going to see a new wave of Americans coming into the National Crossing starting next year. And it's going to change the game. And I can't wait. One thing um, about that game, a couple people had asked me what was Bill O'Brien doing playing for the Americans. Well, I guess there's some political issues uh, that will keep him out of dressing for the Iroquois. So he said, you know what? I just want to play some lacrosse. I'm American. I'll play for Team America. And he had his U-Hawk camera on. And he's got a great video of him just laying some dudes out. I'm still on the fence with Billy O'Brien. I'm a huge fan of everything that he does. His social media presence is off the wall. He is a great ambassador for the game. He's just a little too aggressive at times and a little too football-minded of just running through guys. So he needs to kind of step back a little bit. But his love and passion and desire to play this game is incredible. And he'll be back in the National Cross League before long. If Buffalo doesn't activate him anytime soon, he'll be picked up next year in the expansion draft. I'm sure of it. Didn't make it to LaxCon. Would love to make it to LaxCon. Just haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, we talked about Rochester uh, and their fall. Uh, they've lost three straight. They need to be better this weekend. Everybody, I think, just needs to be better this weekend. Whether you're on a three-game winning streak or a two-game losing streak, every team needs to get better. And it's all about preparation. It's all about working through bye weeks. 
in preparing using game film, practice sessions, and understanding what it's going to take in this league. Because sometimes, I don't know if fans truly understand that. And this was something I was going to talk about two weeks ago, but I was ill, so I wasn't able to get to a microphone. But after the Colorado loss, I went to some of the fan pages, whether it be through Facebook or or Twitter, and there were fans literally calling for trades right then and there. Dan Carey needs to get on the phone, and he needs to start trading some of these guys. Your team was just 3-0. and You lost one game. You're a half game out of first, and fans are clamoring for trades. It is one of my most favorite things in the world to watch fans feel like the sky is falling. Sure. I was one of the first people to say that Doug Locker needs to make some moves and do some trades, but his team was 0-3. His team was struggling. He did make some moves, activated Eric Penny, and saw results. Hasn't made a trade. I'd still like to see him do something. But the situation between Colorado and Vancouver was completely different. And one loss, people are screaming for moves. I don't get it. Fans need to just step back and relax. And one loss isn't the end of the world. If Colorado was 0-4 and in their fourth game they got absolutely blown out at home by Saskatchewan, then yeah. You have every right to say something needs to be done, a trade needs to happen. But when you're still one of the top teams in the league, you have one of the best defenses, the best goaltender, a very unselfish young offense, far from time to be screaming for the GM to make some trades. One other note before we get out of here. Uh, Shout out to Sandy Chapman. Uh, He passed... Actually, I don't know who he passed. I forget now. He passed Blaine Manning, I believe. And he now sits third all-time in rock games played behind Doyle and Sanderson. And I don't know how Sandy Chapman keeps doing it, but the guy just has an engine that won't quit. And he has been a steady presence on the rock back end ever since he came over from Rochester, he spent some time in Toronto, went to Rochester, came back. And probably, like, people often forget that he won Defensive Player of the Year. I remember when that happened and I was completely shocked because I've never really seen him as a top defender. He's like a third guy, more of a, an agitator because he is one heck of an agitator. Not in like, let's go, let's fight kind of, just a pain in the ass. And one of my favorite images of Sandy Chapman, like the guy hustles. Charlie Hustle is a perfect nickname for him. But one of the big reasons they put in that rule of players can't affect another player picking up a ball off of a dead ball situation is because Sandy Chapman, if there was a dead ball and you were like, Standing in front of the ball, like, if you had the ball, shot clock goes, and you have to, like, put the ball down, Sandy Chapman would pick up that ball and run right into you. 
and be screaming for a penalty. And he would do it all the time. Go back and watch old footage of Sandy Chapman picking up loose balls on a dead ball, dead ball and watch him just run right at the guy in front of him. He was always trying to get that call, always trying to bait the refs into giving him that call. Well, now the rule's in place so he can get that call. But he is just a nonstop work ethic kind of guy, and he's now third all-time in Rock Games played. Shout out to the male nurse. That'll about do it for another edition of Off the Crossbar here in SoundCloud at NLL Radio. Uh, don't forget four games on the schedule. One on Friday, Vancouver at Colorado. Three on Saturday, New England at Toronto. That is your Twitter game of the week. Saskatchewan at Calgary, Georgia at Vancouver. All those games can be seen live on NLL TV. And that's about it. Your leading point scores before we get out of here. Uh, three guys tied at 36 points. Dane Smith, Adam Jones, and Mark Matthews. Sitting fourth, Tom Schreiber. Now, this will be something I kind of look into. I don't know when the last time an American-born player won the scoring race. I don't know if it's ever happened. The only guy I can think of that possibly would have done it would have been Casey Powell when he was with Orlando and he won MVP. I can't think of another American that has won the scoring race. I'm sure I'm wrong. Actually, I don't know if I'm sure. It's possible. Someone will tell me. It'll be Graham Paro or it'll be Ty Marrow. Someone will tell me. But I'm going to look it up. The last American player to lead the National Lacrosse League in scoring at the end of the year. I would love to see Tom Schreiber do it. It's four, uh, five points off the lead right now. And he's heading into a game where he could put up like 12 points against that New England defense. But I don't think he will do that either. So there's your homework. See if you can figure out the last American-born player to win the NLL scoring title. That's it. That's all. I'm done. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email address. At Off the Crossbar is where I'm at on Twitter. Uh, thanks to Paul Day. He's at Coach Paul Day on Twitter. If you want to give him a shout out and a follow. And that's it. We're out of here. Until next week, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.